welcome to the podcast edition of Coaching Through Chaos, bringing you what you need to succeed. your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, where I bring you guest experts to inspire, motivate, and empower you. Dr. Colleen Mullen here, licensed marriage and family therapist. And before we get into today's interview, I want to take a minute to tell you about what we've got going on, what we've got coming up, and what I want to know from you. So first off, I'll start with you. I want to know how you manage the chaos in your life. You can let me know through Twitter at Dr. Colleen Mullen or on Facebook where you can find me at Coaching Through Chaos or through my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com. I also want to know what areas of life feel unmanageable to you so that I can bring you guest experts to speak on that topic. Some shows that we have coming up are going to feature how to date online and stay zen keeping your relationship fresh while parenting young kids, understanding narcissistic people and how to navigate relationships with them, entrepreneurial stories, and some really unbelievable stories of resiliency. So now I'm going to get into some of the other things that we have going on here. Most recently, I was featured on Michael Neely's Consciously Speaking podcast, where I got to talk about my work and my ideas on chaos theory and helping people transition through changes in their lives. I was also on School of Psych podcast, where I talked a bit about my life history and how I got to be where I am and what fuels my passion to help people. In the next month or so, I'm going to be launching a new show. We're still going to do Coaching Through Chaos, but in a whole different format, I'm going to start a new show with a colleague called Shrink to Shrink on Film. And for right now, you can find us on Twitter at shrink to shrink with the number two in between. And what we're going to do there is take a popular movie and talk all things psych about that movie, kind of psychoanalyze it. It'll be a lot of fun. We've already done one episode on the movie Inside Out, and it was a lot of fun and people really had a good time with it. So if you can't tell, we've been really busy over here in the background, continuing to bring you shows that are informative and can help you manage the chaos in your life and flourish. Today, I'm featuring another organization that's doing some tremendous work with our wounded warriors. They also do great things for kids and other adults with different abilities. Listen in for my interview with Pam Green, the program director of the Adaptive Sports Foundation in Wyndham, New York. I found out about them through an old friend who is actually one of the many volunteer instructors there. Thanks, Monica, for the connection. So let's get into that interview. I'm with Pam Green today, who is a program director at the Adaptive Sports Foundation in Wyndham, New York. Thanks, Pam, for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Pam, the Adaptive Sports Foundation does so much good work. Can you tell me what the mission of the foundation is? Our mission at the Adaptive Sports Foundation is to provide profound and life-changing experiences for individuals with physical and cognitive disabilities and chronic illnesses through outdoor physical activity, education, support, and community. And 
on your website, I saw this fantastic video of the Gwen Allard Adaptive Sports Center. Can you tell us where it is, what goes on there, and all about it, who you serve there? Well, we're very lucky to have this amazing building. Um, it's an 8,000 square foot timber frame, slope side building at Wyndham Ski Area in Wyndham, New York. And it houses many things. It's our office. We're in the winter. We're primarily a ski and snowboard school for people with disabilities. So it houses all that we need for that. The adaptive sports equipment, the base area lodge where the students um, come and, and take their lessons from. And we have a, a locker room for our 250 volunteers. So it's like our own mini base lodge. But since we're also a year-round program, we base our summer programs out of here. And what kind of summer programs would you have at a ski lodge? At the moment, we're primarily doing events for wounded service members through our Warriors in Motion program. We run about 25 of those events during the summer, and we kayak, we golf, we uh, road bike, we mountain bike, we do mud runs, uh, we do hiking, and other wellness-focused events for the Warriors. Sounds like a lot of fun for everybody, but just such good work that you're doing with them. Can you tell me about some of the programs that you have? Because I know you have a wide range of them, and you mentioned something about wounded warriors. Can you tell me about some of the programs that you have? Sure. In the winter, we, as I mentioned, we're primarily a ski and snowboard school. We have students that just come up for the day and take a lesson. We have residential groups come and take lessons. We have a social group on Saturday that skis together. We have a very competitive race team. So in the winter, we're a very busy, active place. We're just wrapping up our season this weekend. And the Warriors in Motion program, as I mentioned, is for injured service members. Most of those programs are multi-day programs. They come for three to five days. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the sport they're learning while they're here, we also include information about nutrition and other wellness things. We'll include yoga and other stress reduction portions of the week or the days that they're here. We also have some programs for other groups of people with disabilities, such as children with cancer or kids on the autism spectrum, things like that. Wow. And when you talk about providing our wounded warriors with nutrition information and yoga, what have you found to be the benefit to those kind of wellness programs for them? The majority of the participants that we see are all dealing with, and not all of them, but most of them have some form of post-traumatic stress. Mm -hmm. And many of them don't sleep well. They don't go out and interact with people. And they tend to stay home and isolate themselves. So bringing them together, one, they feel more comfortable with other veterans. So they're willing to come here and interact with other people, with the veterans that are in the program and with them. But by providing them with information on things that's going to improve their sleep quality, many of them are dealing with from their injuries or the medications they're on, they've gained weight. Mm -hmm. So trying to help them figure out ways that they can get back to a weight they're comfortable with and lead a, a healthier lifestyle is kind of the overall mission of our programs that we're running for the Warriors. 
certainly we want them to learn sports, but we want them to have a healthy life overall. Yeah, I'm thinking they're going to have a lot of fun and they're going to take away information in addition to those couple of fun days. They're going to have information to improve their life. Yes. And you mentioned having over 200 volunteer instructors. That's just amazing. I mean, I think it's just wonderful that there's such a population of people that are willing to come and donate their time. You know, how many people can you all serve in a day? Like how many volunteers will work on a day and how many students can be served in a day? On a typical Saturday during the winter, we'll have about 100 instructors and we'll have somewhere around a total of 60 students. That includes our race team and our social group and then just our other students in there. And then in the summer, we just recruit volunteers as needed by the event. They're much smaller events and not running every day as we do in the winter. Um, but we do have some large events in the summer as well. So some of those big events, we'll, we'll have 100 volunteers at a time. Wow. And what are some of the big events that you have during the year? So we have two big warrior events, one in the summer where it's water skiing, kayaking, fishing, stand-up paddle boarding, things like that. And then in the winter, we have a similar one for skiing and snowboarding here at Wyndham. The summer one is, is outside of Albany on a uh, lake there. And tomorrow is our end-of-the-year Hartman race, and typically we have 75 participants. We might have 100, 125 to 150 volunteers for an end-of-the-year race, fun day, including a dinner and dancing and DJ and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So that's a lot of fun. Now, how do the Wounded Warriors get connected to the Adaptive Sports Foundation? What are the criteria and do they get funding from somewhere? And where do they stay when they come up for these events that are like multiple day events? Are they housed there at the Gwen Allard Center? Unfortunately, we don't have housing here. As, as beautiful as it is, we don't have housing here. So all the Warriors in Motion programs are funded through either we have some different grants and fundraising geared towards that. We get a very, we're a national program provider for Wounded Warrior Project, so we get a large grant from them. We also get um, another grant from the VA. And then we have some fundraisers geared towards Warriors in Motion. So when they come, we pay for everything, for lodging, food, and any of the sports-related expenses. That's wonderful, yeah. And we have a large database of veterans. Um, the events that are funded by Wounded Warrior Project, they actually have a big database and they'll do marketing through their system. Oh, great. So kind of let others know about it through their networks. Yeah. Since we're two and a half hours from New York City, we have a large population to draw from. And, and so they have a huge database of veterans. So we just use their database to pull from. Oh, great. Now, I know about the Adaptive Sports Foundation because I've got an old friend who is one of those volunteer instructors. I know so much of what you do does help the Wounded Warriors as you're talking about all these different projects and events that you have going on. Can you share a few stories of how the Adaptive Sports Foundation experience has impacted someone's life? Do you have any personal stories that you can share with us from some of the participants? Sure. After working here for 10 years, I have numerous <laughs> stories. Great. Um, <laughs> I was hoping I, you I, would. <laughs> I tried to pick a few of my favorites. So one was a veteran named Lou who lives a couple hours from here, and he was definitely at that phase of his recovery, his physical injuries as well as a brain injury and post-traumatic stress. 
and he was staying at home and isolating himself and wasn't really involved in sports. And he signed up to come to one of our snowboarding events. And when he walked through the door, I could tell he was about to turn around and leave. And many participants get partway here and, and do leave. They don't make it all the way here. They just talk themselves out of it or they get nervous. So I could tell he was he was really nervous when he walked in the door. And I managed to find a volunteer to sit with him and talk to him. And he learned to snowboard and he loved it. And he came back for several other snowboarding events. And we also offer an opportunity for these veterans to learn how to teach skiing or snowboarding. And he went through our training program and he now comes back and he volunteers about 20 days a year teaching other veterans as well as our other students how to snowboard. And to see how confident he is and how he's out interacting with the world and he's actually a really good teacher. It's it's really impressive. And he also has gotten very involved in cycling and he rides probably 200 or more miles a week on his bike in addition to all the snowboarding that he's doing. So to see in four years him go from being a guy that barely left the house and now he's teaching snowboarding a lot and, and riding his bike a lot has been a great transformation. Oh, yeah. I'm sure it keeps your whole team coming back every day to do more when you see stories like that. Definitely. Another favorite story around here is a young man named Zach who is on the autism spectrum. And I don't think he really started speaking until he was about four and then he barely spoke. He started taking ski lessons here, eventually switched to snowboarding. And I, when I first started working here, he was about 10 years old and he, his dad volunteers in the equipment room and he would hang out there with his dad and the instructor sort of had to drag him out on the hill. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last decade, I've watched him get more and more involved in snowboarding. And he has now gone... He, for the last two years, he's competed at a special program in the X Games. Mm-hmm. Has allowed a special Olympian to compete with an X Game athlete. So he got a silver medal at the X Games this year. Wow. <laughs> and he's given speeches. He's been on TV a lot. His father one day looked at me and he said, as Zach is, is talking away and talks to anybody and everybody, he's like our unofficial ambassador for snowboarding. Uh-huh. Uh, his dad looked at me and he said, and to think I wished him to talk when he was a little kid. He just graduated from high school a year earlier than his six did. He was still a little, took him a little longer, but they thought for sure he wouldn't be able to pass all the regents exams this year and he did um, which was very impressive and his parents attribute his being who he is today almost completely to snowboarding that's amazing and you know I was thinking as you're telling the story you know you got to watch him grow up and grow into who he is and Mm -hmm. I bet with a lot of the kids that you work with you get to see this all the time and I'm sure there's some superstar other stories out there too that's just wonderful. Yeah, there's there's another young man named Michael who has a physical disability that affects his joints and his legs. And so he walks, well, when he was young, he walked with a walker. And, and then when he got a little bit older and stronger, he was able to use crutches. 
And when he learned to ski, there was a lot of adaptive equipment he needed because he didn't have the strength to really ski independently. Mm -hmm. And gradually, as he got stronger and older, he was able to pare down to just using some outriggers, which are like crutches with little skis on the bottom. Oh. (laughs) So you ski with those. And they help with balance. And if you don't have full control of your legs, you can use those to support. And Michael really wanted to become an instructor. He was on our race team, but he really wanted to become an instructor. And he knew that he had to be able to ski completely independently to do that. And because of it, that he has very limited range of motion in his legs, it's very hard for him to get up if he falls down. Mm-hmm. And he worked for about, I think, two years or more to figure out how he could get up on his own. And so he has taught for us for a couple of years. This year he wasn't able to because of his job, but he taught for us for a couple of years. He went to Penn State and competed in some other adaptive sports there. And he travels all over the place. I, on Facebook, I see where he's going. He's been, to, <laughs> he's been to the Great Wall of China. And recently, he was posting pictures of the Northern Lights in Alaska. So he's just getting around to everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You know, part of his goal to become an independent skier forced him to get strong enough to be able to do all that. And I think that definitely helped him to realize how much he could do in life. And certainly there's no stopping him at this point. Right. So in addition to watching them grow up and some of them who have come back from combat, get their lives back and feel better about themselves, you also are like the starting ground for some of these kids that come to you who just start to get that confidence that they can do more than what their physical restrictions would tell them. And, you know, and I've mentioned before on the show that I grew up with a paraplegic father. So these stories just are melting my heart listening to them, particularly this this last one of Michael with the, the crutches. We're a chapter of an organization called Disabled Sports USA. And their motto is, if I can do this, I can do anything. And we really live that, you know, we we see it in so many of our students that learning to ski or learning to ride a bike or whatever is just a small step towards the rest of their life. Yeah, right. Once they understand that they can accomplish those kind of things, right, there's no stopping what they can do or where they can go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now for those listening, I think I have an idea of what the Warriors in Motion program is, but can you specify that one? And then I saw on your website, there's Ride to Live and Slide for Life. Can you talk about all those three different projects or programs and who they're for and how a person gets connected to them? Um, So the Warriors in Motion is for injured service members, and we do skiing, snowboarding, bobsledding, Nordic skiing, biathlon, kayaking, cycling, mud running. We do a women's, actually two women's only events. So I've talked quite a bit about those. Mm The Ride to Live program was actually started by Zach's parents and one of our snowboard instructors who worked with Zach a lot because they saw the benefits of what it did for him and they wanted to be able to offer it to other children on the autism spectrum. Mm -hmm. So they created this program and it's evolved since it started, but typically we'll get maybe 8 to 15 students in a weekend. Most of them are on the autism spectrum or have other developmental delays, and it's a free program for them, and they come in and they learn to snowboard, and and their family has the opportunity to learn more about how to get involved with the sport. And many of the parents of our students, not just in the Ride to Live, but but uh, many of our ski and snowboard students in the winter, 
their parents come in with very low expectations about them really learning, you know, especially if the parents don't ski or snowboard. Right. So we always look at them and say, well, of course they'll learn to ski or snowboard. And, you know, well, there's no doubt in our mind that this will happen. And the parents sort of look at us and say, well, I don't know. And, and you know, then we come back and the parents are always a little startled that, hey, my kid really did learn to ski or snowboard. Right. So those are always wonderful moments. But, sure. you know, skiing and snowboarding is a very equipment-involved sport, and there's sort of the whole cultural lifestyle piece to it. So in the Ride to Live program, we try and introduce the whole family to kind of what's involved with the sport and how it works and all of that so they understand the whole thing. And then the, the Slide for Life program is one that was is geared for all our students and it's a nutritional wellness program just focusing on being active and eating well and and those kind of things and it it involves a a reward system for doing a certain amount of activity and and eating well people with disabilities are often not as active as they should be i mean that's true of the general population Mm -hmm. but, but even a higher percentage in people with disabilities either because they just don't have access to sports they can do or they don't have the family support or whatever it is that they're not getting out and and being as active as they could be. So certainly we try and help them find ways to be active. Yeah. So those are all wonderful, wonderful programs. Now, how would someone get involved? Like somebody's listening to the program. How does somebody get involved with the Adaptive Sports Foundation? I know in the website mentions a sponsorship program. Can you talk about like what are the ways that people can get involved, whether it's financially or volunteering, and how they would go about doing that? We look at kind of three areas, volunteer students and fundraising. Certainly volunteers for the winter, because we have such a large program, we have a very structured way that people become volunteers and they go through, if you're going to become an instructor, you go through a minimum of eight days of training to start. And then there's minimum time frame that you must commit to for teaching. And as I mentioned before, we also have indoor volunteers that work in the equipment room or make lunch or things like that. The summer, because we do so many different sports, we might have some volunteers that are only involved in one sport and might just come for one event. Anything that involves water, we have training for, because we always put safety as our highest priority. So Uh there's some training in the summer. But So through our website, you can find out all the different ways you can volunteer with us, as well as for our students. Our website has all the information on, on how to sign up for our programs. Unfortunately, we're a little bit of a victim of our own success and and the fact that we live close to a large metropolitan area. Uh In the winter, we have a waiting list almost every day we're open. Wow. And I was going to ask where, like for the students, do they only come up from the New York City and upstate New York area? Or do people travel from other states to come for a weekend of learning and skiing? Where do, your, where do your students come from? The majority of them come from the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area. But we have had students come from much further distances. But the, the vast majority are, are within, a, I'd say, a two-hour drive, two- or three-hour drive. Uh-huh. There's certainly many programs like ours that are smaller out there. So pretty much any, not every ski area, but I would say... A high percentage of ski areas in this country have some sort of adaptive sports program. 
but it, some of them might do less lessons in an entire seat than we do in a day. They're that small. Wow. So, so that means, and you guys are that big. <laughs> Just, I had an interesting experience last weekend. We mm -hmm. were starting the training process for some new volunteers. We always do one weekend in the spring to get people in. And we had a young woman who is originally from Turkey and she's taught snowboarding in this country before, but she wanted to get involved with our program because she said in Turkey, uh, which I think is true of many countries, that people with disabilities really don't go out and interact in the world. And they're very um, much put away, much like we were 50 years ago. I mean, I, I didn't grow up with people with disabilities in school when I was a child, but yet now they're pretty much integrated in with, with all the schools. And I think many of other countries are still where we were 50 years ago, and, and they don't have people with disabilities interacting in the world. So it was really interesting to hear her perspective. And so she came over from Turkey and wants to learn how to teach the students with the disabilities here yeah. or to take that back to Turkey with her? Well, she's living here right now, and she's she's a student getting her PhD, and I think she would like to go back to Turkey at some point and be able to teach some people there. So I think her plan is to volunteer here while she's here and then maybe go back and, and do something. So yeah, that was kind of interesting. Right. And I'm sure that you, the work that you do has that kind of trickle down effect. Like you don't know who's going to walk into the center or what student is really going to be like the next Zach or the next Michael or a next instructor that brings the, their knowledge that they learned from your program over to their home country. And as far as the donors, there's lots of ways to get involved in the fundraising aspect. We do, like any nonprofit, we do uh, a wide variety of fundraisers and people volunteer to help out with those. We have the typical things that you think of, like the gala with the silent auction and the golf tournaments and things like that. We have kids organize ski-a-thons or, you know, donate their bar mitzvah money to us. We have a grant writer, and, and we do have a fair amount of money coming in from grants. And we also have sponsorships where individuals or corporations can become sponsors, and they get certain benefits out of that, and, you know, logo on our website and things like that, and tickets to various events. So fundraising isn't my world, really, but it's, we're a small play office. We have nine year-round employees, oh. so we all help out with fundraising. And as over the last decade, a lot changed in fundraising and how it works with all the online availability and technology that's out there, but also sort of the, the pyramid of size of donors has also changed. And it used to be, you know, you had a chunk of big donors and then a smaller amount of people who gave small donations and fundraising in general has worked where now there's a lot more smaller donations and maybe fewer of the big ones. They can reach people, maybe more people through online avenues, social media, that kind of thing. Definitely. Yeah. And so you mentioned that tomorrow is your big year-end race, mm -hmm. I think, for the, the Warriors in Motion program. And after that, what's your next big fundraising event? So actually, the race tomorrow is for all our students. Oh, but... Okay. So our next big fundraiser is called the Master Chef Celebration, and that's May 4th in New York City. And there's about 40 chefs that set up tables, and you can go around and sample. And I used to be a chef and a caterer, so it's one of my favorite <laughs> events to go to. 
<laughs> and this year it's being hosted by Carla Hall, who was on Top Chef and The Chew. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to meeting her because she was a quirky, interesting contestant on Top Chef. This is only our third year of doing that event, and it's been very successful for us um, because it's all our other fundraisers have all pretty much in the Wyndham community. And this has brought us into New York City and pulling into some different people. Yeah. Well, and that sounds like a fun, fun night and experience to have. It is. And we we even set up a little interactive adaptive sports area. Last year, we had a ski simulator. And then we had different glasses that made you see as best we could replicate different vision issues. Uh So you could kind of get a sense of what it's like for a person with a visual impairment to ski. And this year we're going to have an adaptive biking situation set up so people can experience a little bit of getting into a hand cycle or some of our other adaptive bikes to see what it's like for our students in their equipment. That's going to be something that I think probably really impacts the people who are there to understand more about what you do and help fundraise to kind of get inside what that must feel like and to understand the gravity of the work that you're doing by helping your students overcome these obstacles that have been presented to them. Yeah, and people who are up here at Wyndham see it out on the mountain and see the visually impaired skiers or the people missing a leg or, you know, in the sit-down equipment. And they always express the awe of it. Sometimes putting yourself as best we can recreate it, you know, trying to experience what their experience really brings the point home. Yeah, I imagine it would. And before we get going, what else would you want people to know about the Adaptive Sports Foundation? We've been in existence for over 33 years. Um, So we were pretty early on in adaptive skiing. Back then it was just skiing. And we continue to grow and change. I came from a ski instruction background. I knew really very little about disabilities and adaptive sports. Just I had a small outside perspective. And they recruited me because they thought I'd be a good fit. And over the last decade, I've learned a lot. And every day is a new experience and a new learning experience. And I always say that I've cried a lot in this job, but mostly in good crying. Yeah, I think a lot of tears of joy and just like awe, as you said, <laughs> I would think happen a lot. Exactly. And and one of the, the really wonderful things about this building, we, we built this building 11 years ago. Before that, we were in the base lodge, and so two parents of a child with a disability could be sitting next to each other but not realize it, that they had something in common. Mm -hmm. When they're up here, everybody knows why they're up here. So it's really built, built a community, and everybody feels accepted here. You know, they don't feel like anybody's looking at them funny, or if a kid with autism has a meltdown, it's not a deal up here where... In a grocery store, it's a big deal, and people don't understand always. So it's it's wonderful that there's such acceptance and such a feeling of family and community here. Yeah, really beautiful. Now, what's the website? Uh, where can people find the Adaptive Sports Foundation? Our website is adaptivesportsfoundation.org, and we're located in Wyndham, New York. There are a few other organizations West with similar names, not identical. So if you just Google adaptive sports, you might not get directly to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so adaptive sports foundation.org. And our phone number is 518 
734-5070. Thank you so much, Pam, for being with us today. Uh, and as we do with every episode, we'll be putting links to the website on the blog post that goes along with today's episode. And you know, I'd encourage everybody to check out the website because there is some real great videos that you can see. And this whole Gwen Allard Sports Center is just an amazing building from starting with the parking lot, as they talk about in the video and how they designed everything to build this community and accessibility and sense of acceptance and welcoming for all the students. So I'd encourage everybody to check that out. So Pam Green, Program Director at the Adaptive Sports Foundation in Wind of New York, thank you for being with me today on the podcast. Thank you, Colleen. You're listening to Coaching Through Chaos, your host, Dr. Colleen Muller, bringing you what you need to succeed. Thanks, Pam. I don't know about you, but I am overwhelmed at the size of their volunteer team and how many lives that they can touch doing what they do there. There's so many great organizations out there helping those who put their lives on the line for us. If you know of any, just send me an email or a tweet. Let me know who you think should be on the show, and I'd be happy to reach out to them. Now it's time for letting you know what others are saying about the show. If you want to hear your review on the air, just leave me a review at chaos.tips.itunes. So IMPNYC says, very insightful and straight to the point. I've learned quite a bit just after a few episodes. Recommended. Thanks so much for the kind words. My goal is to bring you information to inspire, motivate, and empower you so that you can navigate around the chaos in your life. And thanks so much, as always, to Dr. B for all that he does behind the scenes here at Coaching Through Chaos. He really keeps the show going. And thanks to BennettSullivanMusic.com for my theme music. And remember, if you want to connect with me between episodes, you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Colleen Mullen and on Facebook at Coaching Through Chaos Podcast. And of course, there's always my mailing list at coachingthroughchaos.com where you can get a copy of my ebook for signing up. It's 100 Tips for Living a Happier, Healthier Life. And you'll also get some exclusive information and tips for navigating chaos in your life just for signing up. And it won't be things that I'll publish on the blog or on Facebook or anywhere else. It'll just be for you in the mailing list. All right, that's it for me. If you've got chaos in your life, I hope you find your way through it. And until next time, take care.